what real humility is, is Jesus. So for our focal passage, for our passage I'm going to read tonight, is Philippians 2, 3 through 8. And I'm just going to ask you to stand in God's honor when you find that. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something To be grasped. But he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. And became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Let's pray. What a thought. Father that you who deserve all attention, all praise, chose to humble yourself, to leave the majesty of heaven and enter a simple stable, to take away all the frills and the majesty of a palace. You chose a very humble place with a livestock, And instead of your glory, Father, being visible for miles and miles and miles, you chose the form of an infant, human form. It's really more than we can fathom, the idea of God becoming man. And yet that's what the season's about, Lord. That you and your greatness decided to stoop so that we might have a chance to see you. Lord, and today we still need you, Father, that humble spirit that you exude, that you have shown, that needs to mark us, it needs to be a part of who we are, Lord, as the call to follow Christ, we too uh, should have the same attitude. Father, I pray that you uh, speak tonight as we look at your word in regard to the issue of pride, and and Father, um, just uh, remind us that we're called, Father, to stoop. Christ's name we pray, amen. There are several words in the Greek um, that speak of pride, and as as they're translated, uh, one means to puff up or to inflate, another speaks of delusion, (laughs) another speaks of being blinded, Uh, there's one that It's just to be swollen. And, you know, pride, it is a delusion. We think we're more than we actually are. And as a result of that, we get swollen. And I I thought of a balloon. You know, there's uh, party games that you can play where you take a balloon and and you blow up the balloon and the first one that pop it wins. And, And, you know, as I think about that, you know, the balloon's only made to take so much, and you inflate it so far, and it pops. And, and you know, whenever I was involved in that game, I found myself inevitably holding my ears. Not that I 
thought that it was going to really damage my hearing. I just didn't want to hear that loud noise. And, you know, when you think about those who are filled with pride, you want to cover your ears. You don't, you don't really want to hear that noise. And yet, the truth of the matter is, sometimes we all can be the ones who make the noise. Sometimes we just miss the mark because we become caught up in being full of self and not seeing around us or above us as God has called us to. Uh, unfortunately, we find ourselves like the guy who was at the psychiatrist's office. He laid down on the couch and he was getting ready for a session and the psychiatrist said, I really don't understand your problem. So why don't we go ahead and start from the beginning? He said, okay. In the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. He started out with an immediate problem. He took the place that was not his. (laughs) And and we kind of do that. God, I want control of my schedule. God, I want you to validate my opinions. God, I want you to listen to me. And if we're not careful, what we do is we think that God is just one to be manipulated instead of one to whom that we should submit to. And we can be all right and all wrong. It's not just a matter of doing the right things. We also have to have the right heart. And the two of those things must work together in order for God to do His work through His people as He intends for it to be. Pride is when, you know, I'm the subject matter. You know, it's me. And and it revolves around me and I become the center of everything. Made me think of Proverbs sixteen five. Uh, I know in the NIV before they change it, which really messed me up because I learned a lot of verses in the NIV before they revised it. But anyway, so poor me. But uh, in the older revision, it said Proverbs sixteen five said, "Every um, everyone proud in heart is an abomination to God." Ouch! I read this. This is a little scary stuff. How does God feel about it when I'm inflated with pride and abomination? Well, they updated it, maybe to make it sound a little nicer, I don't know. But uh, in the new update, it said, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. He said, Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. You see, God's got a real problem, obviously, with pride. He stooped to see us. But his call is that we stoop in order to see him. And that's what repentance is about. You can't receive his forgiveness and glory until you see clearly that you're a sinner. That you need a savior. That you're, as they say, in a heap of trouble. (laughs) Um, It's a major issue. you know, as I was looking through my illustration, I found the illustration of Mrs. Davis who was looking for a dog of rare breed of which she could be proud. And so she asked the uh, the guy, the pet store, he said, does that one have a good pedigree? <laughs> and he said, oh, yes. If he could talk, he wouldn't speak to either one of us. Isn't it great that God who certainly has a higher pedigree, has invited us into his presence. I still don't get that. I don't guess I'll ever get that. But it's good I got that through Jesus. 
there is that open relationship that he calls us to. This is just a wonderful thing. Uh, this next part is that humility, pride. It's, it's the problem of desiring to be liked, to get the applause and the admiration of people. There's a story of a, a, a young preacher who uh, began to be invited to speak in several different places. And he went to one church. And uh, there was a speaker that was well-known and well-loved. It made him really nervous. And he got up to speak, and he didn't do too good. And so when he sat down, he talked to the older preacher. He said, what did I do wrong? And he said, son, if you had gone up the way you came down, you would have done fine. God wants us to start out crying out to him. You know, I, I think of Charles Spurgeon, the, uh, the preacher that, you know, all those preachers quote, you know, in London, as God did this mighty work through him. But it was said that he had like a hundred steps he had to take up to the pulpit every time he preached. And although thousands would come to hear him, Spurgeon was also afraid of getting the big head. And so he's every step, going up those hundred steps, he would pray, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. So by the time he reached the top of those stairs a hundred times, it was firmly implanted in his mind. If the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, I might as well just leave. And so should everybody else. So that matter of, of, of not seeking attention for ourselves, but seeking Him. Uh, I, I wrote down some thoughts on this. Uh, sometimes we get caught up in what we think is best and act like, you know, everybody else should be just like me. We think our type of music is somehow the sweetest music God's ever heard. We think that our order of worship is the prototype for every church in the community. But we have to be careful that we balance theology with passion. I wrote, good theology with no passion puts people to sleep. Passion with bad theology puts God to sleep. And God worship means everyone's awake. <laughs> there must be theology. In other words, we need to be true to God's truth that we learn in the scriptures. But we also need to be passionate about it. We need to be awake. We need to think about what it means. And, and you know, we're all guilty. Sometimes you just sing the hymns and... And it's like, are you asleep? You know, we don't want to be, well, as they say, first church of the Frigidaire. May God wake us up and give us some passion. Because if there's no passion, then we just forget about why we're even here. But if there's no truth, we miss God. And you got to have both. We don't want to be just a church that can draw a crowd. But once we get them here, God's not there. But we don't want to be a church that's so theologically correct that everybody um, is just asleep because they're, it's not shared with passion. Vance Havner used to say, we can be just as straight as a gun barrel theologically and just as empty spiritually. We can also use gunpowder to set off firecrackers in the open air, but the power is dissipated in all directions and accomplishes no lasting purpose point is we need both we need passion and we need truth and the two need to be connected uh, next knowledge puffs up first corinthians 
8. Uh, turn with me there. Interesting verse. The very start of chapter 80. He's, uh, of course, it's the section of scripture that talks about food sacrificed to idols and how people got all bent out of shape over um, some, you know, that issue. But he starts out here and he says now about food sacrificed to idols. But his first thought is we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. Knowledge in and of itself, it just puffs us up. It just makes us think we are something. But when love flows through our lives, others think we are something. And why is that? Because they see Jesus. You know, like when Jesus talked about Matthew 25, they know you as you love them. The least of these, the people that others miss, when Jesus reaches out and shows love, um, that's humility that's in action. It, it was interesting. St. Francis of Assisi, was a, uh, he was a very smart guy, but his, his passion was people and God. And he just wanted to serve people. And he became heartbroken near the end of his life because uh, many of those who followed him and uh, in the order, and they set up, you know, uh, Order of St. Francis, and uh, then they became really into education, and and they wanted to learn. And he was brokenhearted, not because he thought that education was evil, but the goal wasn't how, how smart I can be. The goal was, how can I reach out? To other people. And he didn't want them just to, to sit and to study all day. That wasn't his heart. And yet that's uh, where they ended up going. And um, those who came after him. That uh, led. That followed him in his work. Education. In, does have a place. But it's not the ultimate place. You don't learn about God merely through a textbook. Yes, you learn about him in, in the scriptures and in his book, and you learn about him in other ways. But it's not just a matter of the mind. It's a matter of the mind and the body and all of us being submitted to him. You know, like he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. It's a passion that goes all together. I, I love this quote John Wooden shared. Uh, and this is what can happen when we think we know more than we know. He said, talent is God-given. Be humble. Fame is man-given. Be thankful. Conceit is self-given. Be careful. That's some great advice. <laughs> That's what happens when we become puffed up. Let's turn over to, we're in 1 Corinthians, over to chapter 12 of familiar uh, passage of Scripture. Uh, not 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, chapter 12. And um, a, a section of Scripture we're familiar with, and I'm just going to start at the first of it and, and read. He says, uh, 
I must go on boasting. Oh, there, there's nothing to be gained. I will go on divisions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man, and of course most of us suspect that he's the man. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up in paradise. He heard inexpressible things. Things that man's not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. (laughs) Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. So there was this puff up. He became puffed up, inflated, swollen from what he experienced in paradise, in this third heaven. Verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's interesting, as as I look at that, he has this amazing experience where he is privileged to see what others haven't seen. And he said as a result of that, I got a little big for my britches, as we'd say here in the hills, and God decided that he would send a thorn. What was really the purpose of the thorn? To help him get perspective. Sometimes we don't think about the painful stuff that comes our way as perspective. As God saying, uh, just remember me. You're beginning to think a little much of yourself. And you need to remember me instead. Um, which is what happened. Jesus said, this is Matthew eleven twenty-five and 26. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Um, Next, I want to look for a few minutes at the deceitfulness of pride. As I said, one of the definitions of, of pride in the Greek speaks of deceit, how we can become deceived. Um. Pride is a deceitful thing in that we think of ourselves more highly than we ought, and it can cause all kinds of problems. Jay Strack, a speaker on college campuses, used to say, Peacock today, feather duster tomorrow. Boy, can it happen. And then I, I, I read in that, continued on, it talked about a preacher who uh, was very gifted, and as he spoke, uh, God blessed the work. But he began to get a big head, and one day after church, one of the church members said to him, said, you are growing into one of the great expositors of our day. And so on the drive home, 
He just had to say something to his wife. So he was fishing for a compliment. Honey, did you hear? Did you hear what um, Mrs. Christopher said? His wife said nothing. She just sat there. Did you hear what Miss Christopher said? She said that I'm becoming one of the great expositors of our day. Still didn't answer. Honey, how many great expositors do you think there are in our day? And she said, one less than you think, dear. (laughs) The truth of the matter is God doesn't need any one of us. But because of his kindness... He allows us to serve him, doesn't he? Someone's quipped. As the chest swells, the brain and the heart shrink. Isn't that true? We get full of ourselves. And um, unfortunately, a stench usually arises out of, out of that. And the devil is a master of using that. He's a master of the strategy of being puffed up, being inflated. And it takes our mind off of God. As he feeds this idea, the the problem just seems to grow within us and prides the bait that leads to a carefully concealed snare. (laughs) Harry Golden in his biography wrote, The arrogance of the young is a direct result of not having known enough consequences. The turkey that every day greedily approaches the farmer who tosses him grain is not wrong. It's just that no one ever told him about Thanksgiving. We need to be reminded of the fact that um, we will meet God. We forget that. And we live in a culture that wants to deny that. But death is around the corner. And God is there. So we are to humble ourselves. Isn't it interesting that both Philip the evangelist that preached to the Ethiopian and Stephen the first martyr are listed in Acts chapter 6. and Their first job that we learn about was they were servants who waited on tables, who took care of widows, who God used in a mighty way, but they certainly didn't start out searching the limelight. They were just available in order to bring peace to a church that was disgruntled as there were some arguments over widows, certain ones receiving favoritism. And they decided, hey, we'll reach out to these people and love them and, and bring back some unity and peace in the church. That, that's what comes out of a humble heart. Quoting Spurgeon, I've already mentioned earlier, the whole treasury of God will be made over by deed of gift to the soul that is humble enough to be able to receive it without growing proud because of it. God blesses us all up to the full measure of what is safe for him to do. If you do not get a blessing, it's because it's not safe for you to have one. Maturity comes when we're able to serve without having to first be served. Humility appears when we don't have to be the object or the subject of attention. That's when God begins to work through us in a mighty way. Wouldn't it be great if we could just get rid of pride? I've never had it, but I've had friends that have talked about the Montezuma's Revenge or other names where they go in these countries and drink the water and, uh uh-oh, sick, 
throwing up other things. We don't need to go in detail. Stomach cramps, fever, all because of some little bugs that get inside of the body and cause chaos. Wouldn't it be great if if we knew that after a short amount of time that uh, pride would leave us, that it would cause pain, but but it would eventually leave and not be a continual problem. Unfortunately, it is a continual problem. Unlike polio, there's no vaccination against pride. Until we're in his presence is something we have to fight with. Nor is pride a disease like chicken pox that once you've had it, you can't get it again. Although here, if you don't get a really good case of it, it might come back. But pride does come back again and again, and we struggle with it. And seeking God is an issue of to constantly say, God, help me. God, help me. Humility does not make a sad and long-faced. To be a good Christian is not to be a sad, long-faced person. Praise God. You ought to be able to laugh. I love that Proverbs seventeen twenty two that says, A cheerful heart is good medicine. I mean, that's just a good word. Then it goes on, you know, and it talks about, but man, people who are broken and who are hurting, it just dries up the bones. But praise be to God that when we walk with Him and we know Him, that He provides forgiveness, not a long face, but freedom. It made me think of... Uh, Romans 8, verse 1. If you hadn't memorized, it's not a long verse. Probably good homework for all of us. In the NIV, it simply says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And just take a minute and break that down. You know, as they say, when, when you come to therefore, ask yourself, what is it therefore? As Paul is starting this wonderful section of Scripture, he says, okay, change of thought, guys. Therefore, there. And then he wants to let you know the linking verb is here. There is when, not yesterday, not tomorrow. Now, this moment, therefore, now, this moment, there is no, not a little, none, no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Man that should free us. Because we tend to carry burdens and weights that suffocate us. And that take our energy and our strength. And he says there's no condemnation. Now. This moment. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the spirit of life says free from the law of sin and death. (laughs) Salvation. The work of Jesus. He's one that forgives. It uh, made me think of uh, John chapter 8. You guys know the section of scripture. The woman that was caught in adultery. Um, Very visible sin. And there was a group of people who was using her in order to try to trap Jesus. They didn't care about her. They might have been religious people, but they weren't loving people. They just wanted to trap Jesus, and they didn't care how they hurt her. She was humiliated, and she was embarrassed as 
she was brought before a crowd, having been called in adultery. You know the scripture is um, Jesus is there in the crowd and facing those accusers. They drag her in and place her down. And Jesus, of course, is bent down and he's riding in the dirt. And as they um, are talking to Jesus, you remember the scripture. He simply says to them, uh, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Because their objective was they were going to execute her by stoning her to death. And it says that they left... From the oldest to the youngest. And I think that's rather simple. The longer you've been around, the more opportunity you've had to be stupid and to sin. To have regrets. And so those people who had struggled through life a little longer than the younger ones left first. Because it was obvious they were not qualified to throw the rock. But what I love is you get to the end of this section here. I'm going to start at verse 9. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Regardless of how big it was, it's not now. If you are in him, you're free. And he says, go and sin no more. So what does that say to me? Is My goal is to get up each day and to be honest with God. God, help me to follow you today. And if something happens in the day and I get stupid and I disobey and I break God's heart and maybe hurt somebody else in the process, what do I need to do? I need to stop and agree with God about it. Say, okay, God, here I am, stupid and all. <laughs> Forgive me. Fill me with your spirit, and let's try this again. And then remind myself, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hey, that's the call. As I close this uh, thing out here, I want to close with the... And, and, you know, you think about it. Let let me just say this, because the whole point of this, I said, you know, there's a joy. How can there not be a joy if you get that? We're the only ones that have that. Everybody else, it's do, 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 do. For us, it's done, done, done. It's just good. Let me close with this uh, quote. This just reminds us about pride. Uh, Newton wrote this. I didn't get his first name. Just at the bottom of it, it said Newton when I found the quote. (laughs) I don't know if it was John Newton or which Newton, but anyway, he wrote, Let me give you the history of pride in three small chapters. The beginning of pride was in heaven. The continuance of pride is on earth. 
and the end of pride is in hell. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you, we understand that really there's no room for pride, God. I is in the middle of it, and salvation is not found in I. It's found in you. It's found in the wonderful name of Jesus, as it says in your word in the book of Acts. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The name of the one who had that attitude, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. As a King James says, of no reputation. Being made in human likeness and found appearance as a man, he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Boy, did you stoop, Lord. And Father, you call us, each of us, to be willing to stoop. What does that mean this week as we head out of this place and encounter real people with a real need to be forgiven, with a real need to hear the gospel? Father, I think often people don't hear the gospel because they're too busy thinking about their own sin. But Father, you have promised that when we're honest about our sin and look to you, there's no condemnation. So, Father, use us to carry forth that message that it was handled at the cross, that the price was paid in full. And there's an opportunity for a new start. You just have to take time to stop at the cross. And so, Father, just to get our attention and as we prepare to sing just work in our hearts God that we prepare to to leave here with a God just a renewed view of you because like I said the truth about the passion puts everybody to sleep we want the passion Father but we also want the truth because we don't put you to sleep Lord so may we leave awake in Christ's name we pray